Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello, beloved listeners. This is Octavius Parables. I am your co-host, Agent Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we are reading Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents chapter by chapter. And we are almost complete. So today we're doing chapter 21. And then we will also come back and be with you all for the epilogue. And yeah, this has been quite an epic journey. We're really grateful you all have have been on it with us. I always get sad when it's almost done. And I'm always yeah. like, no, never keep going. Um, <laughs> but do you have any announcements, Toshi Regan? Yeah. <laughs> what I have, have you been up to? <laughs> I've been recording this parable of the sower um, opera soundtrack with many cast musicians. It's been wonderful. So I'm really happy to finally know that that's going to be coming out. And um, we have, uh, we'll be on tour next year. Uh, we start off in Boston and we'll be going to uh, Champaign-Urbana. We'll be going to Ann Arbor. We'll be going to D.C. <laughs> Yay. It's very exciting. And um, and some, somewhere along the way, uh, I probably have a lot of dates with you, but I definitely know I have one on September 22nd. Yay. Uh, Yes, and that is going to be very exci- um, very exciting because we'll be with the we'll be with uh, Duffy and Jennings. <laughs> We're going to have a beautiful. Blast. We're going to have a beautiful conversation, and that's going to be hosted by um, the Cranert Center, yeah, U of Illinois. So September twenty second, sometime in the afternoon. I can't remember yeah. their time. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we'll post we'll it, it all we'll over the place. Mm-hmm. We'll come and see us and. I'm not sad because there will be a season three. I mean, we're con- we're going for it. So do should we go ahead and tell them what we're going to do now for season three? I think we should tell them. I think so. You tell <laughs> you them. Tell? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Toshi and I have decided that the next book of Octavia E. Butler's that we're going to dive into is Wild Seed. Boom. Wild Seed, which is the first in the Patternist series. Um. The Pattern of Series was actually the first series that Octavia wrote, like got the mm-hmm. whole thing out, and she started it backwards. So she started with the Pattern Master, but we're going to start with Wild Seed and build our way towards it. Get on and through it. It's a sacred text. It's a beautiful text. It's a, I think, very, very different text from this one, mm-hmm. but there's still, there's pain, there's glory, there's sensual, there's healing, there's magic, there's soul snatching <laughs> it's all there so it's all there shape shifting <laughs> shape shifting dolphins so yes um you want it octavia brought it so that's where we're heading next so that is actually probably the biggest announcement <laughs> that is um, the biggest and you can one. go ahead and get your books we don't quite yet know when we're going to start that one off but we'll figure it out and we'll let you know yeah you'll know as soon as we know and we should also say that we're going to host a conversation with, um, you know, someone whose name we've said repeatedly um, both <laughs> seasons. And we're like, we wish we could get her on. So finally, we're going to make that happen and have a yeah. really beautiful conversation with Alexis Pauline Gums. And that'll probably happen in August. And yes. so all these dates will be coming up and we will let you know. 
Yeah, we'll share them all with you. And I'm so excited about this. I just, I keep having conversations about Alexis Pauline Gums everywhere. And it just one. feels like so important to talk with her now that we're on this side of, of the parables. Absolutely. Um, a couple of other little announcements and celebrations in the Octavia world. Uh, a couple, maybe last week, the news broke that Kindred is going to be a series on FX. They landed a pilot there. And I actually, I don't know these these folks yet. Janisha? Janisha? Mm. It's a beautiful name. Janisha Bravo will direct this. Um, Mallory Johnson will star two black humans um, who look awesome and stylish and fabulous um, and mm-hmm. have been doing a lot of exciting work so far. Uh, Bravo has. And then Mallory Johnson feels like, I think this is going to be like the first big thing um, yeah. that Mallory is doing, which I like that combo of, you know, Kindred is something where the person, Dana, who's starring in that is really caught off guard by everything that happens and it's brand new. And Kindred is is still to this day one of Octavia's most popular pieces of work. So I think that's that's an exciting thing to have turning into a series. And congratulations to everyone involved in that project and getting it this far. Yeah, long time coming. Yeah, we need it. And it's yeah. it's on time. Kindred is always on time. And then I just got this very beautiful thing, which is the first fine print of the parable of the sower. A press called Thorn Willow Press has done the first official fine printing of the book. And um, I want to shout out Shadia and John, uh, my beloved friends who found out this was happening. I um, officiated their wedding last year and it was the most beautiful wedding. <laughs> and then they just keep sending me the most awesome gifts. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm just that. like, yes, officiating for the win because now I have this beautiful, I it it really made me cry when I opened it up and just saw mm. it's just so beautiful. I gotta um, that. So shout out to Thorn Willow and all the like 400 something donors who who came together to make that happen. Apparently they did some printings with like full leather bound and mm. anyway, all these different things. But I, you know, as someone who like loves books, loves books I can hold in hand, it's a beautiful thing. So I think that's Wonderful. all of our announcements. Is that, are we good? That's a lot. Yeah. All right. So let's get into chapter 21. This is um, all about Asha. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, from Mercy, the books of the living, to survive, let the past teach you. Past customs, struggles, leaders, and thinkers. Let these help you. Let them inspire you, warn you, give you strength. But be aware, God is change. Past is past. What was cannot come again. To survive, know the past. Let it touch you. Then let the past go. Yay, some real, 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 realness. We all be trying to do that. Yep. Asha, this is a big chapter. It's it's the final chapter of this book. Yeah. And Asha... um. Asha has met Mark, her uncle. She is now uh, connected with him and she's now living with him. She quit her job and she went to one of his houses in New York. She is in school. She is getting everything done. She is getting to live her life in a way that makes sense to her. She even went back to the church 
Um, she didn't mm. go back to the church because she believes in the church, but the infrastructure of the church was comforting for her. So she um, is doing some charity work and she's in the choir and um, all of these things. She is, starts out this chapter by letting you know that um, she has discovered like who her mother is mm-hmm. and she doesn't really know why he wouldn't tell her. Yeah, And um, when she calls him out, you know, on a video call, he kind of gets this sad looking face and, you know, but doesn't say anything, doesn't give her any information. So she is, um, she is, she is, you start to see that she is in a, a position of, you know, of, a of deciding where she's going to go and how she's going to go. And right. also the realization of basically like that, that's her mother and that this person has existed and how she found out. And some of it is that she was on her own journey as Asha Vera. She got her PhD and she started to make her um, her dream mask. And she actually, I don't know mm. if you all remember that she was pretending to do this when she was younger. Right. But now she is actually doing it. Um, yeah. She's doing it. She's she's an official dream mask <laughs> person, yeah. and um, it's almost like her dreams are coming true. And somewhere in this in this journey, she starts to people tell her she she looks like this um, this person, Lauren Alamina yeah. from from Earthseed, and she starts to like kind of you know get curious about it because I don't know if you also remember that her uncle told her her mother was dead and her yes. father was dead. Yeah. So this is this is really, really, really harsh. She's kind of going back and forth around her, like now three families. So yeah. she had <laughs> she had these horrible, you know, people who adopted her and didn't like her at all and who were both parents abusive to her in different ways. And then she had her uncle Mark, beautiful uncle Mark, who kind of pulled her out of that, even though she had taken herself out, let's not forget that. But he then like helps her fulfill her dreams because he has a lot of money. And in here, she mentions that she thinks that her uncle Mark prefers to have sexual relationships with men, Mm -hmm. but doesn't do it because it's against the church. Mm -hmm. Um, But he is basically her only family. So to start to um, find out that, you know, her mom was alive and also is not just alive, but is a part of this um, Earthseed movement and what she is calling, a, identifying as a cult, um, right. is is really shocking. She is like, you know, challenging, you know, Mark about it. And Mark is like, you know, this cult is interested in interstellar immigration and, and like, you know, <laughs> why would we even bother with this? And like, kind of these are the crazy heathens. And I think a little bit trying to be like, you know, you need to be protected from this kind of person. But at some point, she finds um, the books of the living and she accesses the images and she kind of can see that she looks like her mom and she starts to actually look for her mother. And um, she said she saw a tall, middle-aged, dark-skinned woman with arresting eyes and a nice smile. She looks somehow like someone I would be inclined to like and trust 
which scared me. It made me immediately dislike and distrust her. She was a cult leader after all. She was supposed to be seductive, but she wasn't going to seduce me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is where she is at, in these moments, in these early moments of discovering. And we have from the Journals of Lauren Oya Alamina, Sunday, July 29th, 2035, Lauren is starting to gather people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very exciting. Her conversations that, you know, started out uh, with just like one person who said they had a house and maybe they would take children, have expanded. And her and Lynn are traveling around and they end up at a place where these these uh, this couple that seems kind of open, um, the Elfords, they have a lot of money, but they live in a middle class life. So Mm -hmm. as to not, I think, you know, cause attention to themselves, but also to not be wasteful with their resources. And Lynn advises Lauren to seduce folks and not be pushy, Um, (laughs) to take her time and be kind. And so she starts off with them and they really get pulled into it. It's like they're people who are looking for something to do. The world isn't as dangerous as it was before. And now people are like, okay, how can I participate in, you know, some change I would like to see? And so they start to let them in the house. They give them a place to stay. They actually invite them to have dinner with them at their table. That's a big deal. And um, when they do that, Lauren draws something in and she starts to put some earthseed verses to it. Mm. And they are like, what is that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going on here? And she starts to just give them more and more and more and more information about her vision. And eventually they're like, you, you know, we want to tell other people about you. And so um, they start to spread the world word in their community and these relationships start to form. And Lauren, though, even though she is doing this, she's always looking for her daughter and she actually finds um, Mark again. And she's in she's in Portland. Mark is preaching in Portland at one of the shelters, and she goes and uh, to have a conversation with him. This doesn't go so well. Yeah. Um, Mark, Mark is it's really deep. You know, earlier in the book when we had Mark first showing up as a child, um, and he was really trying to find his grounding, and, and we were talking about how there wasn't a lot of room in Earthseed for kind of mental um, recuperation and healing. And and there wasn't a lot of room for like what individuals need, you know, maybe somebody else was cool, but maybe somebody else needed something completely different. And if it was outside of the structure, there wasn't really room for it. And that, that really showed with Mark. And so they basically are so raw in their pain. Mm -hmm. They can't have a good conversation about, anything. Mark can't be truthful about um, Larkin slash Asha slash anything in his life. And Lauren can't be, um, can't absorb any more of his bullshit. That's just, I'll just put it like that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. She's just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a lifetime. It's really been a lifetime of of trying. Yeah. You know, it's it's basically that. And they have the, the, the argument about pain. You know, what happened to him 
And then she says, you know, but what about what happened to me? The only difference is they did it to me longer. And she's, she's like, this is all about, you know, Christian America. And Mark is kind of like, if you join Christian America, you could find your child. And this is a, this is horrible because he, he knows where the child is. So what, why is he saying that? The whole time. Why is, why is he acting like I, you know, this irritated me the most of all the times I've read that. Yeah. It, it irritated me a lot now because I was just like, he's just like being manipulative at this point. Like he could just tell her, but he's like, no, you have to, you have to join me and you have to be, you have to be inside of this. So this ends up being a big fight and he, he walks away. Um, but before he walks away, he does that, that thing where he's just like a half an inch from violence. And yes. so he does that, like stand over her and look at her. And basically she is just like, I just, after this, she just said, I'd prefer for him to hit me. Mm. Cause he just basically says that she's, you know, she doesn't care. Like he's, he's just awful. It's a, it's a terrible thing. And he walked away and what, when he walked away, he had tears in his eyes and it's, so it's where you just know everything is on the surface. And that that both of them, neither one of them can do the jump that would need to be done in order to get to the truth. Yeah. Um, Nobody can compromise. Nobody can can say, even pretend to say the words that would need to be said in order to get to an opening between them. So that doesn't go, you know, that doesn't go so well. You know, Lynn is actually kind of cool. She has a brother, and I don't know if you all remember that she had a brother that's like this. And she gets Lauren to open up, and she says he needs to make everything my fault. And he still can't let himself admit what Christian America did to me. And and he couldn't stay with them if he did such things. And that, takes you, that takes you back to um, Acorn when, you know, his rope was to preach. Like that was his life lifeline, and Lauren wasn't yeah. able to support that. So they're very far apart, very, very, very apart, and it's tragic. Yeah. Um, she got Mark to meet with her again, and this was this went a little bit better. He still didn't tell the truth, but they shook hands, and just he agreed to take care of her if he ever found her, and. This is a really interesting thing with time in this last chapter, um, because yeah, once once you kind of get to the end of the chapter, you realize how many things were happening. Like when 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 uh, Asha slash Larkin was a little girl, so right, exactly. yeah. So the the time just just kind of like you know, you realize she's going back. She's telling you about Lauren. This is like she's telling you about her research. But actually, most of this was happening from the time she was very young and then then climbing up here. Yeah. And there is there is some, you know, little quote that Mark may have known about her much earlier than when he actually took her in. That's right. That's so right. it's um it's 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 bad. But Lauren is ever strategizing and working. And so she is getting this collection of people who have resources, who have homes who want to get involved with Earthseed and she is, she is finding her people. So she finds Allie and Justin and yeah. she brings them up and now they are in a house and they're with the Elfords. And then she 
um, and Lynn go to another house. And then she finds um, Travis and Natividad and she gets, she gets them up. She looks for Harry and she convinces Harry to, to come up and Harry has found, hasn't found his kids, but he's found three other kids and he's adopted these kids. He's like, you know, I don't know if he, how he adopted them, but he got these kids mm-hmm. and, um, and he's raising these kids and he comes up. And so she is, she is starting to feel this groundedness, um, and this support. And then they convince her to put, um, the books of the living on the nets. Yes. <laughs> When did Octavia write this? She said the nets. The nets. She said the nets. Precious. (laughs) Yes. So they put they put the book for free on the nets. They copyright the book, and then now her book is being read by thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands of people. And they start to dream that, like, okay, now we can get into free cities. I still can't get over the free cities thing, but I know it's very very real. Um, yeah. by, by, uh, so let's see, that's Sunday, November 13th, 2035. And then by Sunday, December 30th, Lauren is traveling. Lauren is, is on a book tour, y'all. Lauren yes. is on an airplane. Um, Lauren has gone to multiple cities. She's had multiple experiences. She bought clothes. She bought clothes, like new clothes <laughs> for her and Lynn so they could they could show up and i love this thing um where the uh alfreds take them to the airport and um they have this uh armored car and it's a civilian maggot really the thing costs as much as a nice house and a good neighborhood and it's scary looking enough to intimidate anyone stupid enough to spend their time hijacking um cars mm. so that's really interesting um to me but they go and they start to to uh, lecture and they're expanding Earthseed all over the country. And Jared, Jared is is done. And Jared is like that one term president. I don't know if this is familiar to anybody listening to this. <laughs> shade. I don't know. I know so much shade. That's how I'm feeling it. a little shady today. I love it. But that's right. <laughs> One term president that wrecked, wrecked, right. wrecked the country and the world probably for decades to come. Mm-hmm. Like in four years was able to destabilize and build infrastructural things that people and also caused a war and did so much um, damage to everything and his organization still exists. So he's out, but his organization exists. I wrote a note here, y'all, I'm going to be mad. Do not let Mike Pence be president of the United no. States of America. Do not, do not do it. It's like everybody who's cool, just run for office, run for all kinds of offices, like little offices, big ones, get up in there and make and make something happen because this man cannot be in charge of nothing, mm-hmm. and that's what all of this. Just, <laughs> like no, no, this is what they doing. That's why they changing the laws and they doing all of this mm-hmm. stuff. They're making it hard for you to vote. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, we have to start working on our coalitions right now, and get up in your in your your town and and bother these people because that is the journey to get this person who has all of the Christian American things. 
Yes. He has he has the Crusaders. They are already there and the Proud Boys and the blah, 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 blah. So this is really, really kind of scary. Um, the aftermath of Jared. And yeah. uh, but the uh the good news for Lauren is uh I'm finding more and more people who have leisure now to worry about the nasty downward slide that the country's been on. In the nineteen twenties, y'all, she says. When these people were sick, starving, or trying to keep warm, they had no time or energy to look beyond their own desperate situations. Now, though, in the 30s, now, though, as they're more able to meet their own immediate needs, they begin to look around. So I know Adrian got questions about that. Mm -hmm. I can just feel them. So, um. Yeah, but the the dis, dissatisfied people are finding what they want and need in Earthseed, and so Earthseed is just it's just blown up. It's just become amazing. It's just it's just doing everything that she has dreamed of. It's spreading um, across the country. It is being an incredible force. It is connecting people. She says the destiny is now within hand. Like it's not some weird thing that she like she dreamed of when she was young and she says I wish I could live to see the success I wish I could be one of those who go out to take root amongst the stars I can only hope that my larkin will go or perhaps some of her children or even Mark's children whatever happens as long as I'm alive I won't stop working preaching aiming people toward the destiny. I've always known that sharing Earthseed was my only true purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is there. It makes me emotional. <laughs> it makes me <laughs> so really- emotional that, you know, the... It's just written so well. The characters develop so well that you really feel this thing where it's like Ursid was her only true purpose, and yet she grieves this daughter that she's lost. Mm-hmm. And just what would it have looked like if she'd gotten to also to have that purpose and also be mothering? And I think about that every time I read this because I I think it is a really hard to reconcile for people who are parents. And who are really, really compelled by purpose, by a destiny mm-hmm. that is not parenting. Um, like how to do it, how to do it. So that there's that tenderness of like, yes, that was your true purpose. And <laughs> so I have I have questions here. Same. Um, so the first one is this this earth seed verse always puts me in the hands of my grandfather. My grandfather's mantra to us always was let it go Mm. let it go he would catch us and he would be like you're stewing let it go Mm -hmm. you're looping let it go and he had these huge big southern working hands like he raised horses and he had 20 dogs running around him all the time and he was just farming and anyway i think of that because i'm like right now we're in a period of history a period of social history where letting things go is not the thing (laughs) that anyone's up to Mm -hmm. right it's all about holding on to even the smallest slight and building it up and 
holding on to the parts of our past that are the most painful, the most traumatic, and and like making that our lives, making yeah. our purpose to be around the holding on to that pain, right? And let it go can show up a lot of different ways, right? Let it go can be do the ceremony you need to do and release it. It can be an act of forgiveness. It can be a moment of acceptance that it will not change. It can be really a physical, like let go of that place, let go of that person, let go of that organization. Like, you know, so the question I wanted to start off with is, is there any past you need to let go of Mm -hmm. in order to be, to really do a better job of being in the present towards Mm -hmm. shaping the future? Is there any past that keeps pulling you back or distracting you from the present and the future? Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. And then could you forgive someone for a betrayal like the one that Mark has pulled off, both of Lauren and of Asha Berry, and sustained? Like, it's not like he, he did it and then he was like, my bad. <laughs> I was feeling jealous, I was feeling petty, I was feeling whatever I felt. Could you forgive someone for a betrayal like the one that he's done? He doesn't ask forgiveness. He doesn't ever truly, truly acknowledge the scope of what he's done. Right? right? And I think a related question, I'll go ahead and ask this, is further down on my list because chronologically it's further down, but it seems so present here, which is just, why do you think Mark did this? <laughs> Why do you think Mark upheld this lie? What do you understand about it? What do you infer about it? You know, he really worked to create an impossible path for Lauren, right? Like he's like, the only way you can get your daughter is by doing something that you could never do, like going back into and joining with the people mm-hmm. who caused you the most traumatic pain. That's the only way you can get your child. And so his own repression of his own gay life, his own repression of his own trauma and his own repression of, of being honest about the choices he made. Cause I will say, (laughs) I want to hear what y'all think. I want y'all to think about what you think. I really think that he was responsible for the reason that Larkin was taken in the first place. I think that Mm -hmm. he was part of why Christian America was ever at that space. And I think that the overwhelm of guilt of what he did I think sometimes the only thing people can do in the face of such guilt is double down and really step fully into the enemy space, you know? So it's like, yeah, you might have your tears, but like your life is still lined up around the choice that you made. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what I think. What do you think, Toshi? I think Olamina's a stubborn, um, you know, because they they have a a stubborn line. I mean, you look at Keith and then you look at the dad yeah. Like the dad couldn't veer off of his his determination. Um, they all suffered from trauma. They were all in traumatic mm-hmm. situations, you know. If you just do a little history on each of them, that's like this. And then I think that the that Mark's trauma is on off of the scale. You know, by the time I Mark agree. by the time Mark that night he's a baby, you know, he's not like a he's so young. He's yeah. already He's already lived through like his brother being murdered and then his dad m- making everybody know exactly how 
and doing that like you need to know the, the truth in order to feel the worst that you can feel so you can never do it old school horrific i think that's bullshit then he lived you yes. know he he lived and i think i think uh i think it's too much it was too many things and i do agree with you i think in the you know in our mind narratives of of what what happened i think he he is responsible for that attack on acorn yeah and um they just knew too much about everything yeah. And, um, you know, I, I thought he had to tell them, but I, I agree. I don't know if it's the guilt or if it's just the continuing of the, the, that he's got to get his sister. Like, yeah. I don't think he ever resolved a, a, a place of understanding and empathy for her. Yeah. And so, you know, they, I think the middle ground that they got to was to agree on the lie, you know? Is like, mm. you know, here's the middle ground. The middle ground is because she doesn't say she says, if you find her, take care of her, you know, like, yeah. you know, promise me that you'll take care of her. And it's like they agree, end up agreeing on the lie. And um, mm -hmm. I don't think she would ever say that's what she was doing. But that's they find a middle ground there. And there's this like, I love you and I care about you type of, you know background feeling but i also think the amount mm. of of trauma that is experienced and violation that's experienced where what where where is fucking love like, <laughs> like yeah what, no what i universe mean it's, is i think it's such a really good question like i don't know that love was on their plates or you know like sir you know like Nina Simone said, if there's no love at the table, <laughs> you know, like, I'm just like, I, I feel like that where I was like, I don't know if there was love at the table for them. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think there's a lot of tenderness when I think about like Octavia writing this and mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways this could have resolved, but this feels actually the most honest, you know, yeah. this feels what happens in families. Like this yeah. feels like what happens in families, which is like people come up to the precipice of something that's like, it would be too painful if this was true. So we're not going to call that true. We're not going to say the words that would make that true. We're, yep. We might sit with it back in the recesses of our minds. But we're not going to say the words. And, you know, it was a different time. Now is a different time. Yeah. So, the yeah. Let it, I, the let it go. Yeah. I mean, I really think, too, like, Mark is the perfect example of what happens when you repress those parts of yourself that are so fundamental to yourself that mm -hmm. the, the repression of them distorts everything else that can happen in your life. I think that that kind of repression does lead to evil behavior, evil choices, like enemy behavior, right? Where you can become an enemy to those who are really offering you love and trust and making mistakes. But, you know, <laughs> it's just like there's something that can toxify inside of, of repressing your life force. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's so a big... That's a big thing because I think that that what you're talking about is a part of the uh, the human ecosystem on the planet is yes. that I mean, I was just saying to somebody, I was like, oh, look how wonderful the world is. I mean, it's so beautiful. And look at all of these trees and this water and mm. we have all the information. Look at these butterflies and these bees and I really don't like roaches, but I'm just even like, look, just look at this, you know, piece of nature that's a part of the ecosystem of life that exists. And I was like, 
why why do we keep giving power to people who have no interest in any of it they're like they're mm. like they tell you the truth like they show up and they're like i don't like water unless it's something i can own for no, myself no. i don't care about the ocean warming i don't even believe in climate like i don't like I was, is it so simple like i i was like you know what? You could believe in climate change and hate black people at the same time. <laughs> like <laughs> people like, do. You you know, you could do that. But like yeah. don't don't elect somebody who hate black people and don't believe in climate change. No, like, it's too much. I mean, I'm joking, y'all, but it's no, like it's too much though, because it's, it's so too tender. Much. It's such a tender place. We we were just watching Nalo, my partner, is obsessed with nature documentaries and nature shows and 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 nature. Right. <laughs> just going through this really big, like every time I see someone come into that deep, full understanding of how fucked we are on climate, it's yeah. a new devastation. But we've been watching all these documentaries and we just recently watched a like Day in the Life of David Attenborough or something, but it's basically like him at ninety-three basically giving his testimony of having paid attention to the climate and the world and seen all the extinction that's happened and saying like, this is our only chance. Like this is the window where something else is possible. And, and it's, it's devastating. Right. So it's like anytime someone's making that choice on the grandest scale or on the smallest scale, you know, it would be remiss not to mention that like, while we are in this moment where Climate catastrophes are popping up. You know, Europe is flooding. There's droughts all over the place. There are fires burning all over the place. The ocean was set on fire. Like all this stuff is happening. It's like we were told this could happen and we we know that it will happen more. All of that is is unfolding right now. And our the people who have the majority of the resources and who could like address it are like, I'm going to space, space trip, time for a space trip, you know? Yeah. And it it to me, it feels very relevant because like what Ursi is talking about is how do we start to be in an exploration of space? What is the relationship we need to have to space? And it's like, yeah. not this way. <laughs> yeah, no. This isn't the way, right? And Mm-mm. and which isn't to say that the Ursid way is the way either. And I think we'll get into that even more in the epilogue. But I think there is this conversation around like the people who are in some ways the most hurting and the most disconnected from the planet that gives us life are the ones mm. who end up with the most power to make decisions around it. And that has to change. Um, you have to change that. And then when someone's trying to change that, they're like a cult leader. So that was one of the questions <laughs> I had is like, does it shift your view of Lauren? You know, having had your own walk with her since she was a child and seen her development of her ideas and her politics and her purpose. And then to see that in, in, the, in her world, she's being viewed as a cult leader, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, that that's the rumors about her. Does it shift your view of her, right? Like, how do you think of cults? What do you think of cults, right? Why do we keep recreating the kind of cult space? And how come those of us who sometimes are like, hey, can we love the planet are immediately written off in that way? <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, you must be on some cult shit. It's mm-hmm. like, so yeah, think about your cult feeling. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And then I love the way they talk about time and how in the 20s, the people were surviving. And then in the 30s, started to be able to look around again and feel feel into like, what can I do? You know, how can I be a part of 
surviving, not just surviving, thriving, being interested, thinking new philosophies. And it makes me want to ask people right now today, are you, are you surviving or are you living in your purpose? Mm-hmm. And perhaps your purpose is helping us to survive. And so you can be in that third category, right? But do you have a clear sense for yourself of if you are keeping your head or the collective's head above water? I keep having this thought of, am I moving against something? Am I mm-hmm. moving towards something? Mm-hmm. And I, in me, I feel that I am moving towards something. And if there's an impression of moving against something, it's just because that something is in it between me and the thing I'm moving towards, which is life moving towards life and mm-hmm. people getting to be their authentic selves and all the complexity of that and all the things. Right? Yeah, yeah. But we've got a lot to survive as well. So, And ask yourself the question, both at an individual level and if you're working with a collective or a group, is your group surviving? Mm. Is your group on purpose? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have a question about this part, but I just want to uplift the importance of publishing <laughs> that Octavia puts here, like yes, having right. the book and knowing at a certain point that it's like she can only go door to door, face to face with so many people. Um, but Earthseed is bigger than that. And I love that she puts it online for free. I'm always wanting to do that with projects and then being like, and I had to eat, <laughs> trying to figure it out. And I'm like, I just want to give it all away. Um, so I just want to name that. Notice the importance of publishing. And in this mm. moment where it's actually steeped and complicated to be able to have, to grapple with things in public, to have the public dialogues, to get in and have differences, really saying, how do we start to take up more space with publishing ideas and dreams and visions and yes. things that are compelling for people to move towards. Yes. Y'all, the scholarship I be finding on like Instagram, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like, a game. It's not a game. People is, you know, uh, obviously not everybody, but I mm-hmm. I have been woken up by some really powerful things. Yeah. I'm really appreciating. And also um, I love when people start telling you what books to read. Yes. What, what musicians do? Did you catch this movie? Like our people be creating and sometimes they can't get on that broadcast level of letting you know what you're doing. And then you just see these movements come through and they're like, yo, you have to watch this. You have to see this. You have to connect with this person. It's really cool. Yeah, that's really powerful. <laughs> you know, I'm just sort of like, Let's take it seriously that we have things that we need to be offering each other, sharing each Mm -hmm. other, teaching each other. And it doesn't always have to be in the form of telling someone they're wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that part of what Ursi, what's so compelling about Ursi, it's like, here's the patterns we can observe about ourselves that we're all in. The question I have here, I love that you pointed out the similarities of this one-term Jared presidency and some recent experiences of ours. And the question (laughs) it leads me to is, you know, how long will it take to recover from 45 and or is recovery the wrong goal? Mm-hmm. You know, like we've talked about this many times of, of the sort of the harm reduction of electoral organizing and electoral moves and needing to get in there for the sake of this mm-hmm. and how to not necessarily recover because there's nothing we're trying to get back towards. Right. right. How to be like what all got unveiled, what's the mess that got made, and then how do we remake it better? How do we make it 
just how do we make it right? Mm-hmm. But how long do you do you all, and if you sit and think in your head, like, where are we? And some people are like, mm, I can't even think to next month. Are we still in this Delta yeah. variant endemic? You know, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine, right? We have to be yeah. where we are. But if you can think and imagine into the future, what are you thinking? And then I think that the last questions I have are kind of the big meta questions of this book, which is what I think Octavia wanted us to sit and think about and reflect about and write about and plan for. The first is how do we protect ourselves against this future? Mm-hmm. How do we protect ourselves against this future? Who do we need to be? What do we need to practice? What do we need to pray, say, sing? What do we need to hear, mm. channel, experiment with? How do we protect ourselves against this future? Yeah. And what's coming to us is hard. I, You know, you may hear it from us. You may hear it from documentaries. You may do the movement generation training and you may come in this a million ways, but what, what's coming now based on what we've already done to the earth and already lived in terms of system is hard. So what do we need to believe in order to pull ourselves through to a compelling future? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, such, such good things to think about. And I love the, you know, the letting go aspect of you know combining it with the thought process Mm -hmm. that if you if you're really like like thinking i i you have a a a place you are that feels so so stable and so right for you and so great and then you're looking at what's what you're in and what's coming and you're doing that wonderful game i like to play which is what is next and predicting like yes. this is going to happen next. This is going to happen next. You know, I'm always thinking, can I, can I let go of things that there is no way they're coming with me? Like, there's no way they're coming <laughs> with me. Like they, you know, can I start to like, let yeah. go and, and redistribute things in ways that would be supportive of the thing I need the most, which is relationships. I just think the relationships is the the um the ingredient of of survival that if you build the circle of relationships and I don't need thousands of people but you know I think that is a way that you can forward move but if you have to run from everybody if you choose you know because you're afraid to be violent if you choose to think that the best way for me to survive is to kill people or to steal from them or to harm them in a way that is going to make their lives. If you, if you can survive watching devastation and watching children be left on the roads, if you can survive among dead bodies, like people do on this planet already. But if you're right now in a position where none of that is happening, what are the relationships that you form to create systems where it it will be intolerable yeah. to allow in in the space that you're in? Yes. And I I think about it all the time. All I think time. about it all the time. I was like, no, there's no way I'm walking 200 miles up a highway. There's no way 
Like, right. here's my skill set. Here's what I'm good at. Here are the resources I have. What relationships can I make with people when I, wherever I am stationed? Yes. That support. I, I, and you know, this is not going to be everybody's line. So I'm not offering it to anybody but myself, but I would just rather die than do something that I would find catastrophic to somebody else. That's right. And (laughs) and the planet would the planet be all right with me going, and I'll be I'll be all right because I I feel I feel that would be the right choice. But you know these these kind of situations that Octavia exposed for Mm -hmm. us, I'm grateful to her because they horrified me so much, and Mm -hmm. that she exposed them to us in this particular way. And then she said, "And here's a line of of survival. Here are all these victories." Yeah. And hear how all these victories have, but the victories, the victories aren't like lasting states of being. The time keeps moving. Everything keeps moving. Everything keeps evolving. Before you know it, you're trying to buy a girl. You see your brother. Your brother's uh-huh. in terrible shape. Before you know it, this happens, that happens. He can't stay with you. He goes off before you know it. Like, so yeah. it's, it's, you know, I want to get good at, at being adaptive and, and thinking thinking present and forward brilliantly and then kind of holding the ingredients of my past and my knowledge as medicine, but not the necessarily, not the navigation tool. That's right. I think that like, you know, Octavia often said that this was a warning. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, for her, she didn't want it to be a prediction, but a warning. Uh, She didn't want it to be prophecy, but a warning. And I keep thinking how, I have identified as a futurist my whole adult life. And lately I've really been landing in, in like being a nowist, being someone who's in the present moment and really understanding that this is the moment where the choice is like, this Mm. is the moment right now today is where the choice is. Mm -hmm. I'm either contributing to the devastation, the catastrophe, the, the rushing, because that's the other part is the humility in me is just like, it's a temporary thing anyway. Like our proximity to the sun and the way the universe is working and all the science we understand, the the condition that we're currently in is not a permanent condition anyway. Yeah. Like we got to figure it out. You know, if we want to be in this in this universe for longer than our planet <laughs> is a sustainable place for us to live, like that's on us. But the rushing the rushing of the timeline is the part that's devastating. It's like, no it's way. So like we have so much time and we have so many more generations who like, we finally are getting ourselves to some, some kind of freedom here. Um, you know, we're the freest black people to ever live. And yet we're rushing ourselves towards right. this end. So I think that's the, you know, I keep being like, how do I land myself sturdily rooting in mm-hmm. the present moment, in this now, in this place, in this planet, and make choices that allow me to stay, allow yeah, us yeah. to stay, allow us to be in right relationship, allow us to become part of the dirt here. Yes. Yeah. We gonna figure it out or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We are produced by Kat Aaron. Our show art is by Krista Franklin. Music for Octavia, Octavia's Parables is Always See the Stars, performed by Toshi Regan, written by Toshi Regan. 
And uh, the Sower song written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by um, the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower oh, at Memorial Hall in oh, Chapel Hill, so North much. Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> that song makes me weep. I love that mm. song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. You can find us on Twitter at O Parables. You can sustain this show as we head again towards this third season by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash oparables. And you can visit readingoctavia.com for transcripts. And we will see you next week for the epilogue. Love y'all. See you next week. Bye. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her
in due time.